0: Welcome back, everyone, to Podcan episode 32. This week, we're going to be talking about updates in the metagame. We have two tournament results to go off of, and we're going to be focusing on Ruby Amethyst, but not in the way that you're used to. We're going to be focusing on how to beat it. I know Moyan is a bit pessimistic, but our goal basically over the next one to two weeks is Is to workshop as a group, as a team, the Podcana team, to come up with a deck list that beats Ruby Amethyst. Hopefully, one that also has a decent matchup spread. That might be a tall order, but right now the metagame is definitely starting to stagnate a bit. Ruby Amethyst is really cementing itself as the top deck. We've seen some evolutions in the deck list, which Moyne will talk about. uh, But it is just overwhelmingly the best deck right now. It shows up in the majority of top eights, um, and I remember seeing a YouTube video. I don't know who was doing it, but they actually were aggregating the tournaments and the, the top eight representation of ruby M, this is absolutely disgusting right now so we're going to be looking for a counter deck um and we're going to be doing some brewing over the next couple weeks anyway before we get there let's talk about the headlines obviously recently i mean outside of Lorcana we had the holiday the holidays so christmas or whatever you celebrate and of course the new year is coming up i just want to get an update for you guys on how your your holidays went
1: uh yeah it was good i took some time off i was uh working like nonstop up until the christmas uh like period up until christmas day so i had a, ni- a nice relaxing day yesterday uh besides that haven't really been doing much in Lorcana, like you said yeah again if you ask me what that could i bring to the tournament it'd probably be ruby amethyst at the moment so i'm quite excited i want to i want to really try and work to see um how we can take down uh ruby amethyst or at least attempt to um, you know tackle the deck what about you moin how was your holiday
2: um was pretty good but so i'm spending some some time with family but i i still found a lot of time to to put into all the different card games that i like to play so <laughs> nice uh, i'm having a great time
0: <laughs> awesome yeah um so i mean obviously new year's so we're looking forward towards 2024 i mean the biggest thing on my Sort of list uh, for 2024 is, of course, organized play for Lorcana. I hope that it's good. I really do. It's coming in Q2. Um, I think the the game has the ingredients necessary to be massively successful. And if we get a good OP circuit, that would definitely kick things off. Um, what do you guys? You know we've been doing this podcast for a bit now we're in episode 32 so we're actually getting close to uh close to the one year episode i know you guys haven't been on for the entire time but now doing the podcast engaging with the game what are your hopes for 2024 in regards to Lorcana?
1: i want one of us to win a major Lorcana event um i want to talk about the decklist i want it and i want it to be a decklist Cause I know Brendan loves doing this. I want it to be a decklist. That's just like no one no one saw it coming. That's a tall order, but i I, I want to see it happen and I'm confident that at least one of us can make it for sure.
0: Yeah, I think we know who we would nominate to be to be our yeah, champion. I, to be our I, player. I know, I
1: know <laughs> who
2: we would nominate for sure. Yep. so for me i I like the game right now, and that is good enough for me for now, but I really really. Uh, to stay in a game long term i really need the game to have like competitive circuit and if, if that comes i'm i'm very hopeful for for the game's future and my or our involvement as a podcast in it
0: yeah for sure so i mean we're holding our breaths hopefully they start teasing us soon because they they committed to that q2 hopefully we start getting some they teases. said
1: they said january yeah they oh. said in their last post they said they'll give us more info in january so i'm excited yeah that's soon. huge that's soon huge. tm
0: all right, mm. soon, TM. All right, let's take a look at these tournaments. Uh, we have two to go off. One is a PPG 2K, uh, which only had 37 players. Doesn't sound like a lot, but it was a 2K, so we'll go. You know, we'll assume it was relatively competitive. And then we have a tournament in Italy uh, that had 163 players. We have top 32 deck lists from that. Let's start with the 2K, the 37-player tournament, because it was actually won... By Amethyst Steel, which is very interesting. We were talking about this deck list before we hopped on the podcast. It's a color combination we've been interested in, mostly because of its resilience to aggro while keeping the Amethyst package. That being said, this player winning this tournament absolutely had to beat and go through some Ruby Amethyst decks. What do you think about this list, and <clears throat> how do you think it favors into Ruby Amethyst? I know, Moen, you were talking about it. You think this is probably a bit of an underdog.
2: Um... Yeah, so I, I think the big upside of this is, is as you said, that it doesn't have the same aggro weakness. It, it actually is really good against aggro, but I'm I'm extremely impressed that... I think in top 8 there's four ruby Amethysts, and somehow they still came out mm-hmm. the top. And that that is very impressive, because I, I see the deck having a very hard time beating ruby Amethyst. Mm-hmm.
0: And I just want to remind everybody as well, for anybody listening or watching on YouTube, if you're wondering where the deck lists are, there'll be links in the description below. Uh, This is specifically the ppg holiday holiday matsuri decklist so there'll be a link to that for there so yeah so when you're looking at amethyst steel right you have the amethyst foundation but you add the color steel what are you losing when you pick that secondary color well you need to ask yourself if cards like beast which is kind of like your key i guess card against a, a deck like Ruby Amethyst because a lot of these other cards that you're bringing in and steal, like the Tinkerbell, like the Smash, like Let the Sword Mary John, Grab Your Swords, those are very much for aggro, right? They're not as good against Ruby Amethyst. So, what are you losing when you get rid of that Ruby uh, color pair? Well, you're getting rid of four three-drop Minnie Mouse, which, we, like I said, we're going to talk about the evolution of the Ruby Amethyst deck list. Now, every single Ruby Amethyst deck list is playing four Minnie Mouse. You're getting rid of Minnie Mouse, you're getting rid of Maui, Lady Tremaine, be prepared maleficent <laughs> is beast enough to do that my argument would be no right it doesn't okay, so, so um
2: just to jump in there a little bit mm-hmm. like losing the min because some some parts that you're losing aren't that important losing the mini mouse sounds like a big hit at first but because you're playing smash like in that matchup you're posing mini mouse might also not be that big of an issue so you're still okay there then um I think losing the Maui cannot like Maui is also not a great card in in these matchups because it doesn't quest at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but then Lady Tremaine and Be Prepared, I I would say are the big ones that you're losing. Um, and in return you're getting Beast, which is which is a pretty good card in all these mid rangey games. And also you're getting Benja, mm-hmm. so you could argue okay, occasionally you can remove opposing spellbooks and develop your own. But the list also chose not to one spellbook, so I don't think. I don't think the list really tried to be good into Ruby, Ruby Amethyst Amethyste. That's not built to do that, and it's it's they still found a way to to win those games.
0: Do you think that you could have a version of this deck list that you could tech to be more like? better into something like Ruby Amethyst better into control while still keeping the equity for the aggro matchup? Cause I, I would argue you also don't need that many pieces against the aggro, right? Like just a few pieces of removal should be enough to stabilize board. And once you are ahead or you do stabilize board in the later part of the game, you should, it should be a relatively healthy place as a control deck. So are there pieces that we can add into the Amethyst steel deck that would help against our Ruby Amethyst matchup that are not currently in the list that we're looking at? Um,
2: I would say they exist for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, the only thing is, I don't think enough pieces exist so that you could actually make it a, a good matchup or anything. But you could you could help that matchup in a in a few different ways. So I think, but some of them are not actually in the steel side. I think to make that matchup good, you would need to play uh, a few spellbooks yourself. Let's say around two spellbooks on on your side, then have pl- two plus Bangers to remove opposing spellbooks. So that's like one. Way you can try to get a little bit of an edge in that matchup. Um, I would say the other way is I would also you would also need Ursulas I think to go head to head against Ruby Amethyst. Mm. Um, yeah, and I think th- I think those are the big big changes you could make if you want to be better against Ruby
0: Amethyst playing. If we're playing, Amethyst,
1: playing you... Ursula in this type of deck though against Ruby Amethyst, like doesn't it just get absolutely destroyed by a card like Tremaine and stuff like that?
0: No, like, because it draws the card. That that's okay. that's that's why Ursula and, is so good in the control the control mirror is because it comes down replaces itself and it demands instant removal because it's a it's a three quester. Yeah, mm-hmm. and
2: knowing knowing Lady Tremaine is one of the big out, big efficient outs for your opponent, it is possible with this list for sure to like keep a Captain Hook on the side and just not rest sure, it sure, sure. for a turn or something.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that the, the Ursula is an interesting card, and we can use that to transition into what the evolution of the Ruby Amethyst deck looks like. More um, well, if you also want to talk about it, it looks like we've come back around to playing efficient evasive cards and playing some of the, the top-end control cards that I know you and I are, were very fond of in Chapter 1, such as Ursula. Yeah, so basically,
2: it's it's looking like it is a complete, like kind of a different deck now than it used to be in, in set one, but still the version that is evolving that is like standing out on top is kind of the same twist that we put on the deck in in the first set. So um, the cheapest evasive in format is also being run like four times and in in every ruby amethyst deck basically, and it's performing very very well. Which is the three cost Minimouse. Now it's no longer the Pongo. Pongo is competing in a different slot where you already have a lot of strong plays and it's has one less turn to quest so a lot of people are playing for evasive mini mouse and people are also turning away from Elsa top end a little bit and more towards the Ursula top end which is always doing something immediately when it's played. which Elsa to some extent also is doing but it's already replacing itself and putting your opponent a little bit further away from 20 which is very important in the mirror because even when they don't have board they could reach that 20 if you don't slow th- slow them down a little bit and also um against smaller or boards where you don't need to be prepared yet it gives you that option of playing ursula and then no matter what your opponent does you can sing be prepared next turn develop behind it maybe second ursula so I- i'm again on-, on board with jamming for mini mouse for ursula in my deck again mm-hmm. um some other developments the the, the archetype is going through is, uh, it's, so I think in the recent weeks, people try to uh, counter the three-cost Arthur by playing more two-cost Pinocchios, uh, the the one that rests one of your pos- opposing characters, and then just trading into the Arthur And then now we have this dynamic of people want to be playing Ursula's top end, which is also an Uninkerbell. They're a little bit lower on Arthur. So a lot of people have cut down on the Arthas a little bit, and now people are also cutting down on the, on the Pinocchios because Pinocchio is missing its, its prime target.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. And it's, yeah, it's interesting. We've kind of, we, it looks like we've gone back more towards like the hyper control deck list but not hyper hyper control it's control with these uh, effective or efficient threats in the form of mini mouse and of course now you have the merlins as well so it it actually nowadays it just looks like an upgraded version of these chapter one deck like
1: I, i yeah i'd say that to be honest like the uh the sapphire ruby deck is nearly closer to what the old ruby amethyst was like in terms of how slow it was but also how effective it was of like actually removing stuff whereas the new ruby amethyst also has that element of like in the matchup where it's ruby amethyst versus ruby sapphire ruby amethyst now it's not like oh these are both slow decks the game is going to go on long no ruby amethyst can get low it can actually put out targets it can get lower pretty fast because of cards like the merlin the go because of how powerful these madam embodies are because you're playing merlin the rabbit to consistently draw cards and stuff like that like mm-hmm. that that matchup is still super favored in my opinion in Ruby this maybe it's a little bit closer than you may think but in general you just have better early game cards that are coming out whereas your opponent is just spending their entire time ramping right so
0: let's talk about some statistics here and this is a small sample size we're going to pull from the two that come this week so the two tournaments we have ppg the holiday 2k tournament 37 players and then we have 163 in the italian the goats capri princess mm-hmm. necklace okay so out of the top 32 and top in top eight um so that is 40 decks how many ruby sapphire decks do you think are there are
1: oh there's probably like one
0: there's one there's one yeah. that deck yeah. was just the absolute talk of the town in week one week two of this format and it seems to have been absolutely deleted from the format moyn do you want to talk to us a little bit about why that has happened do you think that it is potentially now underrated and it could, can come back into the format why has it had such a hard time as the meta has developed
2: mm, i think kava touched on it a little bit it's like i think ruby amethyst i i think and i think a lot of people would agree with me is best i can format now until anything changes um and it's just ruby amethyst completely shits on uh the the the, the blue red deck so there's no place in the meta for it anymore mm. and it's not even like it, it had like that great matchups and in, into everything else so that would, would still have a place like it still had this weakness against aggro so oh yeah, co- yeah. combining it's, it's that best... together it's just it's it's not a bad deck but it's just so poorly positioned
1: yeah it was like the deck that was like when everyone was was basically how I saw it was okay, it was week one of the, the new set. Everyone, of course, is gonna keep playing Wheel Steel because most of their cards are already there, they throw in their new Cinderella, all their fancy new pieces. This deck comes out comes out of nowhere and just shits on Amber Steel. Because <laughs> it, it like it, it's actually not even funny. That matchup, it is so favored for red blue. But then like you said, right? It's it loses to aggro, and then it also loses to Ruby Amethyst now. So it's like what what happens? Whereas I felt like with amber steel, like you can still sometimes get there against ruby amethyst, But like over like over the past few weeks, I think I played my major tournament. Like it was at the start of December, and it was probably split. I think maybe there was five amber steel, three ruby amethysts, or maybe it was closer to fifty fifty. Uh, I mean as Brendan's after pointing out I think there's way more Ruby Amethyst running around than Amber Steel because I think people have played that matchup over the course of the past month and realized well one deck is just coming out on top more often than the other you know
0: Mm. so we do have a discrepancy on the podcast and that is that I felt like in set one Wheel Steel was favored in Ruby Amethyst. So I felt like that ultimately, you know, I flip-flopped on the, on the idea on like who was favored, who wasn't, um, through, throughout the, the metagame as it evolved. And I think I was smoking a little copium for a while on the Ruby Amethyst being favored. And at the end, I did test it quite a bit, um, against not just Pixelborn, but against really, against other, what I believe to be really good players. I felt like ultimately Amber Steel was favored. In set two, how do you think that matchup goes how close is it now
1: i've done it i've done it and it's it's man it's so close like okay there's a lot of not even that many un- uninkables in this ruby amethyst in these ruby amethyst lists compared to the old ruby amethyst list so you need them to have a bad hand you need them to not get the the be prepared as the amber Seal player you need to have the god start you need to have like the queen shift into the bigger queen You know, get loads of cheap Cinderella so you can do Let the Storm Rage on and just turn all your cards and just remove their board and hope that they don't have to be prepared. So there's a lot of conditions that have to be met. Like the way I won against Ruby Amethyst, which I I think I lost the majority of the other ones, was I milled them, which shouldn't happen. Like it's such a low percentage that that actually happens that I feel like their start is always good, right? This is the thing with Ruby Amethyst. Their start is always good. They have like their... If they play one drop they do their mana mim stuff they can kind of remove some of your targets even if you manage to clear their board you get around turn six turn seven they do their be prepared they reset they start developing again and then if when you both have to start developing again if you're only putting down kind of one target at a time and stuff like that you see tremaine's coming down on the board you see them developing super good cards like you know big cards like Meli, stuff like that so overall it is really really tricky I think that, like, I I don't know. I don't want to say that Amber Steel is the closest deck that can beat Ruby Amethyst. Actually, I'm going to put it out to you guys. What deck do you think actually stands the most chance at the moment against Ruby Amethyst? Do you, I mean, you could say Ruby Amethyst. You're probably going to say Ruby Amethyst no, against no, no. Ruby Amethyst, I, right? No? no? That's not
2: it for me. Okay. I think... But the, I, so my problem with it is I think the only way to actually be good against Ruby Amethyst if you, is if you go... Under them by mm-hmm. playing hyper aggro, mm-hmm. and then getting, winning the game before their their game is even starting. So you need to be extremely aggressive, and I think any other way, I I don't really have much faith in. So, but the the only problem with that is that if you ever face like uh, any steel deck, no matter yeah. what the second color is, uh, you're mm-hmm. you're pretty sad playing the hyper aggro deck.
0: Yeah, I agree. Playing in... and... <laughs> Yeah, and playing hyper aggro for me is like torture. I hate it cuz I mean it's it's okay when you win the game but when you lose it's just like so painful. <laughs> you have no cards in hand, your opponent's doing all the things you're like oh my god. Um but yeah, so do you think that the matchup got worse for Amber Steel in set 2 than set 1? Yes. Okay. Yes. What, so what in set 1? I think I think
2: that? I know it's it's not I don't think it's. I don't know. It's it's hard to pinpoint it on an, on a specific card because it's just the deck got so much more efficient on like
0: all levels. Mm, yeah, that's like but it's that like just all, the merlins, all the merlins, all the madam mims. Like it's yeah. it's yeah. really that package. Like that, honestly, that package is fucking op. Like it just it just <laughs> is like that. Like the madam mims are op, and the merlins are they're are insane. Uh, like, and you also got good top enders
1: you still have a good top end with this deck it's not like you sacrificed your top end to have a good the, early game no you, you just have everything yeah i would say you have the also, best, you have
0: the best top end of the game
1: yeah, yeah also
2: the, the, your seven drops are like extremely impactful once you get to them so be of, of course be prepared it's very important but but you had that before and i think ursula's decent but i think scars also very important mm-hmm. so, so a lot of people aren't even playing any scar i think a few of them can be um can so they're they're not they're not be prepared, but they they can be similar in that matchup in how much they can clear. And in different situations, of course they're better if there's like not an entire full board where you would need to be prepared. Okay, so what what I'm getting at is uh, that it increases your density of, of seven cost clears and it makes it less likely that you completely whiff once you get to seven and you need to stabilize. So having a little bit more uh, density in your seven cost clears also helps in that matchup in comparison to, to set one.
0: Mm. all right there is a card in amethyst so like i talked about almost every single ruby amethyst deck is playing four evasive mini mouse one three evasive three cost can be inked which is op by the way <laughs> um but there's a card in amethyst it's a four cost uninkable called peter pan shadow it is definitely this card is designed i i guarantee you when they design this they're like this card Hose is evasives. It's like you have this card in your deck, you're very good against evasive. Because what it does is it also has evasive, it has rush, and it says your other characters as rush, gain evasive. So things like your Maui's can now clear those one threes. <clears throat> is this card playable in the Ruby Amethyst mirror? Or is it just simply too inefficient? Because it costs four, your four cost is, your four cost slot is tight. It's tight because that's where your Merlins are, and it's uninkable. How do you feel about this card into Mini Mouse?
1: it's like Moen said Moen said before the podcast is like it doesn't even clear the mini mouse if it cleared the mini mouse then we then we could talk if right three then we two. could actually yeah talk. that'd be oh, if it was a three two. oh yes so basically
2: oh, yeah the, the biggest issue with it is you can never rush down the prominent uh is the mini um but let's say so for the card to be good you would need to you would need it the pongo in the game where you draw it, you would need Pongo to be a good card, so that you actually want to play it. Because it's uninkable, right? It's You don't have... And Pongo isn't always a good card. Mm-hmm. Pongo being inkable is very important. And that that's, I think, the, is the big issue of, of the card. Because if if Pongo would be a, a card you could put down on turn four, like the majority of games, I think the card would be a good tech card for the mirror, because it would mean that the following turn you can maui into, into your opponent's evasive threat, and then uh, get a lead on the board and and kind of get ahead. The only problem is, okay, it is not always a good card. It is uninkable. That, that is pretty bad. And even if you play it on turn four, your opponent has a mini. The mini is still questing for another turn. Only then you can rush it down. And then it's not It's not a whole lot of turns until it's be prepared territory anyways.
0: Yeah. I mean, it also does make it so your Madam Mim can, uh, can rush these things down. I mean, it just gives you... It just gives you that stat advantage versus uh, versus these opposing mini-mouses, because currently, right now... Would you now- not just
1: play Jetsum, though, no? Wasn't that the guy, the dude we were playing last time, the 3-3 evasive, isn't it?
0: So, I mean, so the Jetsum... Yeah, it was a 3-3 evasive. The Jetsum, yeah. Jetsum is interesting. So Jetsum also costs 4, I believe. Um, the thing It's about inkable the- as well, I think, yeah. The thing about Peter Pan Shadows is it just, like, it makes it so your Mauis and your Madame Mims that are on board... Are like legitimate threats against I these mini Mouses. I don't know. Uh, I just remember how, how yeah. It's like it's like how
1: impactful is that though? You know, it's like it's, am I really throwing my Maui into a one three? I would like, wa- I
0: would one hundred percent throw my Maui into yeah. a one three in the mirror. Mau- okay. Maui is like a it's a it's a terrible card in the mirror. Like you ink it honestly. Like it's maybe a downside that you're even playing Maui to the board because it should be used as ink in the mirror. Like that's how bad it is. Yeah, most okay. of
2: the time, yes. So sure. basically,
0: now that you're talking
2: about Washmat and Mim, so. Because if if you have wash madam mim on the board, and then your pawn goes mini, and then you go Peter Pan trade your wash that's mm-hmm. already on the board into well you the can't mini. do that you can't I mean, okay, like yeah, right, exerted, exerted. Yeah. Yeah. so so it's okay let's say let's say they're on the play and they play mini most turn sure, three sure, then sure, you yeah, play wash sure. mim and then they exert it and then yeah. I play them. so there's some there's some merit in that it's just I think most of the time you don't really want to be playing wash madam mim on turn three preemptively. Yeah, a yeah, lot yeah. of the time you'd rather be playing uh, so, friends on the other side or Maleficent, so that's a little bit of an issue there.
0: Let me talk about the... Dy- so there's a dynamic that I think that Peter Pan Shadow helps solve uh, that we're not quite talking about. So the reason why Minnie Mouse is so powerful in the mirror is because mm-hmm. it... It taxes your opponent's removal. It asks your opponent to remove a three cost with some of their high high priority cards. Things like the Yizma, things like Be Prepared, um, what used to be Dragonfire. Like it is is asking them to lady like Lady Tremaine a three drop. And what Peter Pan Shadow does is it gives you more outs to kill the Minnie Mouse with other characters or other cards that are not as useful in the matchup, and then use your, your removal for actual threats. So use your removal against the Ursulas, against, the, against opposing Lady Tremaine's, against opposing Maleficent's. So it's just giving you that room um, to not have to use your high-priority removal into a three-cost 1-3 three Minimouse. I think that that's really the idea behind it.
2: So, so basically what this discussion is leading towards is, okay, this, I, I I think... I would conclude the the card is pretty good in the match in the matchup, right? I would if I know I'm playing that matchup, I wouldn't want this in my deck. But let's say I'm I'm going in a tournament. What matchup spread would need to? Like how many mm-hmm. uh, ruby amethyst are you expecting that you would actually put this in in, in your deck? For me, it, I think it would be 75, 80 percent for me to actually want to put uh, Peter
1: Pan's shadow in my deck. I wouldn't even put four in my deck. Then I don't think. I think oh I yeah, like I
0: don't. Two, I don't think. You, I don't think you run four. Yeah. It's like it's unthinkable and yeah, it's just too it's too taxing. That being said, there's an interesting dynamic though too, because when you talk about metagame representation, you could be like, oh, okay, the meta let's say the metagame representation is very unhealthy. And say it's like fifty percent Ruby Amethyst. Mm-hmm. That's a that's a lot. But you you although it's 50% Ruby Amethyst representation that shows up to the tournament, based off recent results, you could reasonably expect the top eight is going to be 80% Ruby Amethyst. Mm-hmm. Would that is that so, enough for you to put the card in? Like, If it's not like 80%, because 80% people showing up with a single deck is like, I've uh, honestly yeah. never seen that happen, especially in an open tournament or even in a closed tournament. But you can reasonably predict that a top eight would be that saturated with a single deck.
2: Mm. Yeah, so basically if I'm confident enough that I'm making top cut, even if my deck's a little suboptimal against the entire matchup spread and then I want to be have a better chance to to make it like top four top two or to win the event I think it's it's a viable tech cut one or two copies
0: mm-hmm. yeah I'm interested to experiment with it um we'll get into the so the main topic which is just we're going to be talking about how we're going to approach this we've talked about it a little bit already how we're going to approach ruby amethyst we're going to try to approach beating ruby amethyst with not another Ruby Amethyst deck because that would... Honestly, that's probably our natural inclination. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, I was going to... Any other decklets are potentially talking about we talked about Amber Steel. I mean, there are other decklists that show up in this top 32 and this top eight. Um, they are you know, individuals. So, they're one ofs at that. So, I don't think they warrant too much discussion. All I can say is that the biggest conclusion I would draw from these results is that, I mean, Ruby Amethyst is very, very, very much on top right now. You do see occasionally, as you do see aggro decks sneak in, but it seems like they are still being gatecapped by the the Amber Steel decks. And the Ruby Amethyst deck in general is just stronger against aggro than it used to be. It has more low to the ground threats. The Mono Mims are very, very good for that, uh, etc. So, I'm going to go ahead and hop into our Spilled Ink section, which is our listener question section. If you want to get your question right out on next week's podcast, you can choose a comment on YouTube. First one comes from Michael Snap. They say, another great episode, gents. Getting lost in your own head during a tournament is rough. I played a match at a $500 cash event where I thought the board states were equal or slightly tilted towards my opponent. He misplayed and got so mad at himself that he scooped. He scooped a game he likely could have won. It can be difficult when you when you make a mistake, but you have to try to move past it. Otherwise, you can blow your next game, next round, the rest of the tournament. I have also had an opponent scoop to me when they were one hundred percent going to win the game before. <laughs> um, I, they just did not know what I had in hand. Sometimes, and that this goes into the concept of playing to your outs. Like you should always be playing to your outs. Often, there is very little to be gained by conceding. Um, Sometimes you're in an unwindable position, but more often than not, you're actually not getting yourself any sort of advantage by conceding. And I have absolutely had opponents concede into me that were going to likely win that matchup. I've also had opponents miss lethal because I pass the turn back to them. They have onborn lethal. I pass the turn back to them. So they were like, they second guessed it. And then they won. I'll tell you the story. I was at locals. <laughs> I was at locals. My opponent literally has onboard lethal. I tank... Look at my hand. Mm, talk, say some he- things here. Say some things there. Just like chatting up. I draw out my turn maybe for like sixty seconds, and I'm like, okay, we'll see if you. I say, no, let's say this. I so go, we'll see if you have it. And this is someone I've been, I know, and I've been playing against for a while. Um, so I was definitely some banter. I was like, we'll see if you have it. So I pass it back over to him, and I'm telling you, he literally has lethal. He doesn't have to have anything. He just turns sideways. So he goes to, he starts counting out loud, and I'm like, as soon as he counts out loud, I'm like, I'm screwed. I'm screwed. There's no way. He's counting out loud, like all this oh, stuff, so, and he miscounts out loud, and Whoa. then he and then he proceeds to wheel, and he wheels me a whole new hand of cards. Uh, I mean, ultimately, he still won the game. I was infinitely far behind, but I was just like, it was just a funny situation because. Um, you know, I could have conceded there, but my my only out to that game was like, maybe he misses lethal. Uh, I actually didn't care about winning the game. But I just wanted to see if it would work. And it totally sure. did. But uh, yeah, I mean, talking about Michael's Michael's point, I've definitely had opponents get tilted and concede games that they were absolutely going to win into me.
1: I, I do want to just point out one quick thing there. And it's something that you taught me pretty early on for Lorcana, Brendan. Um, at the start, now this was in old ruby amethyst meta like mirror matches and stuff like that where often you don't even really get to have two games played sometimes it was one game mm-hmm. that was drawn out for a long period of time somebody won that game and then pretty much whoever won that first game was winning because your next game went to a draw uh great tip that brendan taught me and it, it is like I, I would say you have to play to your outs but then there's also an extent where okay if you really 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 know you're losing and you recognize that okay if i If the next game it means I go first and like, you know, I can kind of get going again. If it means that you think you can actually take the win and win your next two games, it's important to realize that and not get a draw. You know, in the situation that you really want the win or you're confident that you can still get the win, if you just had a bad hand and they had a god hand, you're like, okay, let's just go again. You sometimes need to recognize that. Like, it is important to not just play, okay, if you really feel like you're losing the game and it's going to be drawn out for like 15 minutes of... You know, you being out attritioned, and they just have like in the old Ruby Amethyst, they're playing in room
0: and shit, and you're like, yeah,
1: yeah, (laughs) it's like, yeah, you should just go next game. Yeah, hundred
0: percent. I think that's a great concept. Uh, Luckily, it never happened to me because we were playing Evasives, and everybody else wasn't. (laughs) They just lost. (laughs) They always (laughs) lost game one. But uh, yeah, I mean, you have to look at it. You have to approach it from how do I win the best two out of three? It's you're not just trying to win the individual game; you're trying to win the set. Uh, And often, if you are playing a control deck, like you will not have time to finish a three game set so it can be correct to occasionally concede game one and move on to game two and try to play out to the game three because that's your only out to actually winning the game Mm -hmm. anyway next one is from Otis turner they say the worst um experience i ever had was in 2005 nationals of world of warcraft tcg at gen con 15 rounds on day one Yeah, that's a lot. This is in reference to last week's podcast, which is about how to prepare for tournaments. Uh, The worst one I'd been to was Flesh and Blood, The Calling Auckland, the first constructed calling for Flesh and Blood. it was, I don't even remember how many rounds of uh, Swiss, but also top eight on that day. And top eight was untimed and players back, they actually changed the rules after this tournament. You used to be able to sort graveyards and you could not after this tournament because it delayed the tournament by so long because uh, and Blood is a very resource intensive game, deck resource intensive game. So people were sorting graveyards, figure out exactly what cards their opponents had, um, et cetera. And it went from, I mean, we probably showed up at around eight or 9 AM and it went to two in the morning. It was, a, it was <laughs> That long. is crazy, bro. It was a long one. <laughs> oh long. my god. morning you hadn't any bad, uh, bad or extended tournament experiences with One Piece. Um,
2: not really. I mean, they. I've I've had a few couple hour delays at the start, mm-hmm. so they finish later than they should have. But it, it's nothing I'm not
1: used to. Yeah. What about what about Hearthstone or anything like that? Any crazy? Not, not really. I mean,
2: like, we had entire tournament days, but like everything just according to schedule, basically. Yeah, but you recognize that. Yeah. I mean, we, had, we had a few, we had a few metas where there was like, because rounds are timed in Half Stone, where there was mm-hmm. control matchups that would, would last like a couple hours for one round, but yeah. But that's, that's basically it.
0: Sure. All right. Next, next one is from Rocket Blaze. They say here is another important aspect of tournament play during the Swiss rounds of the Saturday Locana 1K at SEG Con Pittsburgh. Um, my wife watched a guy move cards between his inkwell and his hand. His opponent was new at card games and missed the cheating. It was unfortunate, but you have to stay on top of everything your opponent is doing. I had an opponent. I also had an opponent who accelerated the pace of play to a point where he was shortcutting game actions. I asked him what he was doing. He apologized before talking through his plays. Everything was valid and legal. I think he just uh, reverted to Pixaborn mindset and stopped the community communicating this
1: is something I've seen on Twitter and it's it's a point that is really interesting. I, I wish you kind of talked about it a little bit when we were talking about like uh, how advantage how advantageous Pixelborn has been to the Lorcana community and stuff like that um when a lo- if, if if the majority of uh, a player's time is playing Lorcana within Pixelborn and then they start to go to these major events, this is something that they really need to consider a lot of the um game actions when you're playing the digital version of Lorcana, are automated. Like, you know, things like using your ink. These are things that I had to get used to as a first-time TCG player. And you know, over time I have gotten used to it. But at the start, it can be a struggle. You can forget to do it. You can be slow at doing it. Like it just it just takes time. But uh it's something to definitely keep in mind. If you're excited for these official events coming in Q2 of 2024, um, You know, try and, you know, I'm not not telling people go buy Lorcana if you can't buy Lorcana, but just keep these things in mind of that, you know, when you're sitting down and you have a deck in front of you, you will have to do these game actions that are automated on the uh, the digital client.
0: I think it's wildly different than Pixelborn for what it's worth. Like playing in paper Mm -hmm. is like, It's it's surprised if you only play digitally. um, I did this in Flesh and Blood one time. I prepared digitally, showed up to the tournament with a paper deck, and I was very surprised at how jarring it was. Like it was very very jarring. Um, Mm. So I would recommend getting in paper paper experience if you can for a tournament. What were you gonna say, mine?
2: Yeah, just just like before the tournament. Uh, spend some time doing it even if you know the game actions right it it takes some time to get comfortable doing them so that your entire mind can be focused on on the actual decisions during the game and not just on oh i have to turn this sideways i have to put this at this spot Um, that's very important yep
0: yeah yeah in regards to cheating of course cheating is something that can happen in uh, paper which doesn't happen online i do think that uh, in general, so obviously, not I'm not referring to this example specifically, but in general, I think players are quick, a little bit too quick to assume cheating over basic incompetence and ignorance. Um, in most scenarios and card games, uh. Yeah, I think that you should give your opponent the benefit of the doubt. Not that you shouldn't call a judge on them, and they shouldn't be punished for making a illegal play. Uh, like if they are doing something like picking up their ink quality or something like that. But in terms of malicious intent, usually they're just bad. <laughs> but uh, it is something to keep in mind when you are playing at a paper card game tournament because people absolutely can subvert the rules and gain advantages through ways that are not designed in the game. And that's why you have a judging staff, and that's why you have to pay attention. Like I've had, I've, I've been cheated at locals in Lacana, many 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 times completely because my opponent was uh trying to play fast we were trying to make it in time and they would they just like screwed something up it was absolutely not malicious intent but ruby amethyst mirror both players have 19 ink we're trying to activate cauldron draw multiple cards off of off of two different uh two different magic mirrors and like all sure. this stuff you have to put a card on bottom and it's like did i put that on card did i did i draw yet did i do this did i tap this mana it's like Yeah, they're trying to shortcut stuff so it happens all the time and it's, yeah, I mean, it's just a part of the game. Obviously, if you're in a tournament, don't let that happen and uh, make sure that people are actually going through all of the game actions. Alright. Over to the last one here. <laughs> last one of them is from uh, Tarbaric. They say, I'm curious to see the competitive state of the game if Pixelmore didn't exist. And he says, does one of you use Pixelborn? Uh, we actually all use Pixelborn. <laughs> I think most of us... I'm have,
1: probably the person that is that uses it the least yeah, at the
0: moment. I think we've yeah. played the most on Pixelborn. I've actually played a lot in person, uh, to be honest. Like There was a point where I was going to multiple locals a week. Uh, but... Yeah, I play. I play a lot of Pixelborn and I think it's critical to, I think it's, Pixelborn is the reason why people are so as good at the game as they are right now. Because um, it just really puts, you know, you have so much data, so many people testing, it really puts it to the test when somebody has a theory. Because I've pay, I've played paper card games that didn't have digital clients. And, you know, everybody had an idea of what was, what was the best and what wasn't. And they had, a, you know, their ego was tied up into it. I feel like with Pixelborn, you come to a more objective result. on like, what's good and what's not good.
2: Yeah. So we already saw a lot of, uh, meta evolutions and I think without Pixelborn, maybe they would have happened in like half a year. And we're already at that stage now with yeah. like, so for example, the uh, how Ruby Amethyst is evolving and how the lists are changing, how other decks are adapting to it, how we had the blue red deck—all of this stuff would have eventually happened, but it just would have taken a lot a uh, longer time.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think the blue, the bl- whole concept of like how the blue red deck blew up so fast is because we had Pixelborn on creators and people could kind of brew and use that. Like, there's no—that was week one. There's no way some dude, <laughs> if there was no Pixelborn, was like, okay, guys, this is my deck. I already know it's absolutely disgusting. And he just has, you know, I've played against you know, my partner or whatever for a few games and it's broken, I've broken the meta. Like that, that, that's not going to happen, you know? Yeah, it's honestly,
0: this is like a big concept that gets talked about in a lot of paper card games that have these digital clients, usually third-party digital clients, but like it definitely is, Kind of a downside, um, the sense that the meta does get solved way faster, or like the information is just way better than it would be if it was just paper because it it is more interesting, I think, to prepare for a tournament when the information is more imperfect. That being said, the benefit that Pixelborn brings to Lorcana, the community, and just the game as a whole outweighs that drastically. But I know you know Flesh and Blood was a game that started out in paper and got its digital client, third party digital client you know a couple of years into it, and people were. You know, there was a lot of talk of like, should this be happening because it, it drastically changes the way the game is played, how the meta evolves, adapts, and you know, things get solved a lot faster. Especially when you have access, like we do with Pixelborn, to like the end data and it's it's uh, published uh, publicly. I mean, her, the person who knows more about this than anybody is probably probably Moyen because he played Hearthstone, and that is like yeah, the ultimate have, data game.
2: <laughs> we have some some stat sites with like filtering out the data immediately with thousands of games and uh, like filtering for top ranks we have but even even with that people are so bad at hearthstone and uh, that's not a font. it's a it's a very very difficult game i was i was probably wasn't great at it um so that it still takes time to, to get stuff figured out and even after a month th- there's often still new innovations coming up um so i, I like stuff getting figured out i think even, even if you can get a smaller edge, I think the game is more fun in a, when, when it's in a place. Okay, I, I might be in the minority, but I think the game can be more fun if it's in a place where you know all the different dynamics that are going on instead of getting surprised by every, every card you see.
0: Mm. I do like, uh, for me, the biggest part of it, and I think I've said this before, is that the number one thing that I think is conducive to a game's success is people playing that game, and Pixelborn facilitates that. To the, to, the, to the extreme, right? Like many, mm-hmm. many, many, many more games of on are being played that because Pixelborn exists. And if it hadn't, this podcast probably wouldn't exist if, it, if Pixelborn didn't exist, <laughs> uh, to be honest, because a lot of players here are able to access the game through that. Um, anyway, that concludes our spilled Ink section. I list our question section. Again, if you want to get yours read out for next week, shoot us a comment on YouTube. All right. We talked about it a lot in the headlines, so we're just going to hit on the main topic for a bit, uh, which is... <laughs> How do, we, how do we beat Ruby Amethyst? How do we break this metagame? Um, I don't know. We're going to focus over the next one to two weeks, right? The next one to two weeks, we're going to get together with the three of us and work on a deck that can beat Ruby Amethyst. We're going to find some Gauntlet Ruby Amethyst deck. We'll post that for you guys. Uh, maybe some other Gauntlet decks to represent the rest of the metagame. We'll make those public so that you can do it yourselves. Uh, and then we're going to do some internal testing. Let's just talk about uh, definition of success. Must be favored into Ruby Amethyst. Must be favored. Maybe, maybe one undefeated Locals into an open metagame. You know, putting it Locals, nothing to flaunt about. But, you know, take this new deck list of Locals. And you needs to have a, re- hopefully, this is this is the stretch goal, a reasonable membership spread. <laughs> All right. Uh, but colors and archetypes we're looking at. Um, I'm looking at Steel Amethyst, although I think that that's going to be a tough one. Uh, outside of that, It's really just, uh, I mean, I remember Sapphire, like Sapphire uh, Emerald from set one. I think it's in a much worse place because Ward is less impactful than it was in set one. Set one, Ward was impactful because everyone's playing for Maleficence. Most people playing two to four Dragonfires and it blanked all of that. Nevertheless, still could be good. Sapphire also got a really good card in the form of Caterpillar, which is 1-3 uh, the quest for three. So just basically an aggro Sapphire deck that utilizes Ward and maybe things like Eye of the Fates to try to go under the opponent it's very honestly any aggro deck could beat that out but because emerald sapphire has things like ward has things like kuzco um potentially like the flynn riders like maybe that could give you an edge that being said like that deck list is historically terrible into amber steel and that's fine if that's what it takes um the other thing i'm looking at you know kind of a meme uh which i don't think will be good or like you know like a combo deck uh maybe 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 emerald steel mill i don't i I honestly don't think it would actually be good into Ruby Amethyst ultimately, but maybe you could take it to a tournament and surprise some people. They weren't aware of exactly what you were doing. You can mill them out. If you can move them out with Amber Steel, you can definitely mill them out with, uh, with Emerald Steel. Nevertheless, I don't, I don't have too much faith in that strategy. And then <clears throat> finally, like maybe something like a sapphire steel i just feel like that color combination is missing a few key pieces at this point uh and actually isn't lost the last last one is honestly i would just revisit potentially uh the sapphire ruby and see if we could tweak that deck list in a way that it's actually good into ruby amethyst what are you guys thinking
1: i'm thinking all of these i have doubts (laughs) (laughs) like it's hard man it's so hard like talking through each one of these color combinations i'm just Thinking of like weaknesses against the ruby amethyst, which is which is tricky, right? Like any of the sapphire stuff, like sapphire, ruby, sapphire, steel. If we're, I mean, if you're playing sapphire, you're kind of focusing on ramp, and we can already see that ruby amethyst kind of uh, outpaces any type of sapphire stuff at the moment. Um, I think if it was me, I think I'm kind of with you, Brenna. I want to try and see if I can do something with steel combo that with another color i think steel amethyst might be a good place to start especially since like we said like it was a small um group of players but to see a steel amethyst come out on top of a tournament where majority of top eight was ruby amethyst is pretty impressive so i feel like that's a good place to start honestly i think that's that's probably our best place to start in my opinion so
2: the way i see it we can I think we can try aggro with, with moderate success, but it won't have a great matchup spread. And then the other two decks that maybe I would have still a little bit of hope in would be uh I think either Amethyst steel. Um see if we test that deck a lot, if we if we optimize it for that matchup as well as we can. Um how how good is it actually into Ruby Amethyst? And the other thing that I think we could give a try which I think I could I think it's it doesn't it's, it's not necessarily the counter we're looking for but maybe we it can have a very close matchup and a good matchup But would, would still be ember steel for sleepy flute bang bam
0: there's a lot of people playing for sleepy flute to be honest like so
2: I checked the I checked the 160 player tournament we were uh-huh. covering in this podcast and the top performing ember steel deck which wasn't that high it, I think it was the top 16 deck but the top performing ember steel deck did play for sleepy Flute, so the CP flute uh, train is continuing
0: yeah yeah i mean a card that i'm i'm honestly i think I'm more interested in the rest of the group in terms of uh emerald sapphire <clears throat> but the problem is is like yeah i mean emerald sapphire is not as like it doesn't cheat as hard as like amber amethyst in terms of like just justin timing out like some like one nine or something like that but it does have a lot of evasion, and I think Cusco is still a powerful card. It's just, it's tough with the metamims. Like, the metamim package is very, very powerful. The reason why I like... I like um, Steel Amethyst is I think that we can like double down on the control aspects of the deck my issue is like them going under us but we do have Steel to help them from going under us right we have things like Smash um, and just like the AoE board removal but I think that if we what if we double down on some of the items in the deck because we, we have Beast for card draw of course and also Amethyst is a card draw color but the the Benjas in terms of removing our opponent's spell Spellbooks um, and then maybe we even play more items of our own to develop more engines on board the issue that you have with steel amethyst fundamentally is that it does not have board wipes right so if you fall behind and board it's definitely harder to come back i just wonder if you could create a deck to control is controlling enough is removing your opponent's pesky pesky like uninteractable threats like items via benja um, and then develop your own sort of item engine and be able to outvalue your opponent that way, or <laughs> would it just be too slow because there they have access to you know all these crazy cards? And it's ultimately the board wipe. You do lose really yeah. really good cards when you get rid of Ruby, but your main thing is like, how does Amethyst Steel come back from a board that it's behind on, and it's very inefficiently at best.
2: Yeah. So so basically, I think it's decent at at fighting for board against Ruby Amethyst. It can remove their spell box and develop its own, so it can have a win condition in that way. I think the biggest issue is, as you said, the board wipes. And uh, specifically, I think, with now Ursula being popular, I don't see uh, that color combination dealing super well with opposing Ursulas. I think Ursula will just hit the board and quest for three and it will be very, very hard for yeah. yes, yes, Amethyst Steel so, to get that off the board.
0: Luckily, I mean, to, I mean, Ursula is not that popular. Quite, it's definitely get, it's, it's definitely rising in popularity. It's a one or a two here, there. Um, yeah, I think if people are playing for Ursula, it's pretty bad. <laughs> it's pretty, it's pretty freaking <laughs> bad for because I mean, what is Steel gonna get, do against a two eight? It's, all we
1: all we have against the two A is within the Amethyst package of the yzma but then we just give then we then they get three cards. They play the Ursula, and then we give them two more cards as well. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah but okay, Isma, Isma still right. I, I kind
2: of forgot about Isma. Maybe maybe it can still work then because it's it's about the tempo, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, even if they get a lot of cards, maybe if you have a few spellbooks, they don't have exactly. Isma can still. We have
0: the spellbooks. It's all about tempo. It doesn't matter if they draw the extra cards because they can't deploy them. I don't know. I, it's interesting we'll give it a try uh but that that's our goal over the next one to two weeks we're gonna do some internal testing see if we can come up with a deck list that can beat ruby amethyst because right now the metagame is absolutely dominated by ruby amethyst like ruby amethyst is very much it is very much more the best deck of chapter two than it was the best deck of chapter one uh it's Mm -hmm. much more conclusive so we've got some work to do for there anyway (laughs) Um, yeah just want to thank everybody for listening to the podcast throughout 2023 as we close into 2024 I think it'll be next year by the time we record this so yeah we appreciate it we're excited for the ride of 2024 and what that means for organized play we're a very organized play focused podcast so it's a it's going to be a big year for us again if you want to get your question right out you can shoot us a comment on YouTube any deck list anything like that is going to be in the description below so you can check it out there we're usually linking to Mushi report I use that website all the time it's great <laughs> for aggregating deck lists. Um, yeah. If you listen to this podcast, number one thing you can do for us is leave us a review on pod platforms. That's Apple podcasts or Spotify. It means a ton. Um, and there's a video version of this on YouTube at youtube.com slash podcast. That's subscribe while well, you're there on Twitter, Brennan APG, Moyen underscore HS and Calatech underscore CG. Thank y'all so much for listening. We'll see you next week.